You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Contrary to what the University of North Carolina's famous literary alum Thomas Wolfe wrote, it seems you can go home again. When Mac Brown returned to lead the Tar Heel football program in 2018, fans immediately began to reminisce on the state of the program from over two decades prior. All-American players, marquee matchups, national television and media exposure, all of it. Perhaps the most vital contest of the first Mac Brown tenure in Chapel Hill told more about the deeper genetics of the Tar Heel football program than would be obvious on a quick glance. In order to understand what people like Brown think the Tar Heel football program can be, one must consider the atmosphere and the buildup to this game. I'm Joey Powell, and in this episode of The Backstory on Inside Carolina, we'll take a look at everything that surrounded Judgment Day, November 8, 1997, when Carolina hosted the Florida State Seminoles. To set the stage for the 1997 season, it's perhaps easiest to look briefly at the results from the prior year. The Tar Heels had gone 10-2 with a Gator Bowl win over West Virginia and had ended the year with a top 10 ranking. Included in those two losses, however, was a 13-0 shutout suffered at the hands of nationally elite Florida State in Tallahassee. That Tar Heel team would return all but two defensive starters from a unit that gave up just 10 points a game in 1996. The offense would be replacing four starters, but had plenty of experience and talent to plug into those roster gaps. Plus, this year, the Tar Heels would host their nemesis and perennial conference winner, Florida State. With regard to building a national power, the proverbial hay was in the barn. Everything about 1997 had been culminating in the seasons prior, and this was the year that the Tar Heels would have their best chance to look the best teams eye to eye. But for the purposes of this story, I want to take a look at the atmosphere surrounding the game between the two top five opponents. For years, Mac Brown's staff had been painstakingly crafting a program that they sought to be on par with powerhouses like Michigan, Florida, and Oklahoma, etc. Making sure that games were well attended, adding top-notch facilities to draw blue-chip recruits, working to make the in-game experience a major to-do for fans near and far, getting national television exposure to grow the brand, all of the nuance and ancillary things that elite college programs have ingrained to their DNA. You see, if North Carolina could manufacture and maintain all of those things, then the program could go from being an occasional visitor to the top echelon of college football to a bona fide member of the elite competing annually for the top prize in the ACC and the nation. In preparing this retrospective, I was fortunate enough to spend some time talking with longtime UNC Athletics Director Dick Badour. 1997 was Badour's first year as head of the athletic department after being former director John Swafford's top assistant for 14 years. Bedore's career in Carolina athletics spanned over four decades with colossal success. Teams in various sports combined for 13 national championships and 62 conference titles under his leadership, and the athletic department experienced sustained growth and academic success. And even after all of that, Dick Bedore was quick to recollect about Carolina football's biggest role on a national stage. Additionally, I talked at length with Tar Heel All-American Greg Ellis, who was a senior lineman for that UNC squad. Not only had Greg been an integral part of the program construction that Mac Brown was immersed in, he had also grown up in the state of North Carolina and knew the rarity 
of a game with this much pomp and circumstance surrounding it. While it may be cliche for people inside a football program to say that they only take it one game at a time, or that they never look ahead, human nature tells you and I otherwise. Dick Bedore knew that with the roster UNC had returning, the opportunity existed for this game to reset expectations. He admitted to me that folks in the athletic department knew as the season progressed that hosting Florida State had the chance to be an unprecedented event in Chapel Hill. From inside the walls of the locker room, while the team hadn't literally or figuratively circled the FSU game, Greg Ellis admitted that the Tar Heels all knew every August which team ruled the league and who they would need to beat in order to get there. Fans may remember that the last game prior to Judgment Day was a road contest against Georgia Tech in Atlanta. In front of a primetime Thursday night national audience, the Tar Heels slogged their way to an ugly 16-13 victory. Mac Brown went on the record after that game saying he thought the entire state of North Carolina was looking forward to that matchup with Florida State. Now, with the next weekend open, the focus and the buildup to hosting the Seminoles would be at full speed. At the time, ESPN was a few years into their on-location broadcast of their college game day national pregame show. As is typical now, the show originates from the site of the weekend's biggest game. Weeks prior, Bedour and his staff had been told that hosting game day at Keenan Stadium was a possibility, to which representatives from Carolina were all adamant in their desire for. We told everyone we wanted it, to bring it on, Bedour said. Carolina had a reputation that if we hosted it, it would be done right, he added. And while the TV logistics were a, quote, joyful undertaking, they also gave more of an opportunity for hours of free national exposure for the school, the athletic department, and the North Carolina brand, which is an administrator's dream. Another sign that Carolina football was on the precipice of something special? Game Day actually chose Chapel Hill for their go-to game, and they picked Chapel Hill over State College Pennsylvania, which that day was hosting number three Penn State against number four Michigan. The hype train was indeed at full speed. Greg Ellis remembered the atmosphere in Chapel Hill changed many days before kickoff, or before ESPN even got to town. He attempted to describe an impalpable difference that he'd never felt on campus before, even though Carolina had a perennial national contender on campus in the basketball team. Greg recalled being moved by something seemingly supernatural in the air. I remember walking through campus from a night lab. It was really electrifying. I was walking through the parking lot by the football center. The lights were eerie. There was steam coming up from a manhole cover in the parking lot. It felt like something from a movie. He went on. A feeling came over me. I was proud to be on that team. I felt like we'd accomplished something even before the game got close. We both chuckled as he was telling the story that he could hear the refrain of Phil Collins's in the air tonight in his mind as he walked across that parking lot. If you still think the buildup around Judgment Day was overblown, take it from the all-pro Ellis himself. That moment, walking back from a lab, as weird as it seemed, was one of the top three moments of my UNC career. Now those who remember the game may remember the absolute hysteria that filled Keenan Stadium from the moment the gates opened. North Carolina had never before seen a capacity crowd like that. Mac Brown even referenced the environment recently in a post-game press conference in 2020. One of the things that really jumped out after talking with Dick Bedore was the amount of preparation that accompanies inviting and hosting a crowd larger than any that your facilities have ever entertained before. He talked of bringing in more game day staff, making sure the concession stands had raised par levels so they could provide for the increase in attendees. UNC had even installed temporary bleachers in front of the old Alamo and in other places around the stadium to expand the physical seating capacity. 
History even holds anecdotes of stop traffic on I-40, with people abandoning their cars on the shoulder and walking the over five miles to Keenan Stadium. Additionally, with such an unprecedented demand for tickets, this time students would be turned away for what would have been the first time in ages. Students were told prior via various information outlets to arrive early to ensure their admission. Well, that would create a bit of a pregame frenzy around the student gates, which would be another new challenge. We just didn't want to be caught flat-footed, Bedore told me, sharing that the weekly staff meetings had become much more detailed and were more widely attended by more folks as Judgment Day approached. They were even prepared for a field rush were the Tar Heels able to secure a victory. Bedore also knew that tailgating would be huge for this game, likely also at levels never seen before. And while he didn't mention any specific agreement with law enforcement around parking lot celebrations, I'm led to think that there was some sort of shifted strategy from the policing of alcohol consumption towards crowd control and overall safety. Meanwhile, Greg Ellis and his brothers on the team were focused, incredibly focused. He remembers that everyone from the captains to the managers wanted to be perfect that week. Practices were incredibly intense, he said. Not a lot of chatter. We knew what was on the line. There just wasn't a lot of yelling that week. Greg also shared an anecdote from Coach Brown after the last practice of game prep, which he felt like shows just how authentic Coach Brown is. Brown told the team of the FSU roster, other than two players, I wouldn't trade for anyone else on our team. And Greg felt that by acknowledging those two players on the Seminole roster, that the head coach was keeping it real with his guys. Yes, Florida State was really talented, but so were the Tar Heels. Once the day of the game arrived, so did the hype that everyone expected. Badur usually had the ritual of riding through various Rams Club parking lots prior to games to share hellos with folks and other social obligations. He retold of just how difficult that routine was on Judgment Day. Parking lots were overflowing and the energy was overwhelming. Electrifying was the word Ellis kept going back to when I pegged him for one. He said that they'd had some good crowds for big games during prior seasons, but that the Judgment Day crowd against the Seminoles was, quote, overcrowded. We couldn't even get through the crowds in our buses when we were coming to the stadium, Greg said. Incidentally, he also told me about seeing ESPN's Kirk Herbstreet, college game day color analyst, recently at an event in Texas. Ironically, Herbstreet brought up this game. Greg says he still remembered it and still raved about the different atmosphere and how different it was for North Carolina. Former quarterback Chris Keldorf told the Greensboro News and Record at the time, the place held 65,000 people or so. It looked like 80,000 or 85,000 that night. I remember a full stadium an hour before kickoff as we're warming up and stretching. And then you saw game day in the corner, talking about you and the game. While Tar Heel fans near and far wish the game itself would have gone differently, it's important to note just how impactful a game over 20 years ago still is. To put that in context with the trajectory of today's program, consider Dick Bedore's postmortem on Judgment Day. That game was a realization that Carolina football can do this and can do it at the very highest level with a core of players from the state of North Carolina. Does that sound familiar to anything that a current coach has said? Though the Tar Heel football program has yet to recreate the heights seen on Judgment Day in 1997, the blueprint does still exist. Time will tell if and when another perfect storm like Judgment Day returns to Chapel Hill. And while you have likely heard talk of, or even remembered firsthand, the biggest of big football stopping by Keenan Stadium, now you know the backstory. 
If you'd like to learn more about this story, be sure to search Inside Carolina's online archives. Special thanks to Dick Bedore and Greg Ellis for their time and contributions to this podcast, and to Johnny T-Shirt for their sponsorship. For InsideCarolina.com, I'm Joey Powell. I'll catch you next time. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.